Well, I'm excited. This, you, know, you talk at these different milestones as we kind of connect together as a community that this is the first time that our family has gotten to celebrate communion uh, as part of Birchridge Community Church. And so I'm grateful and I'm excited for um, just being able to experience this together this morning. Um, <clears throat> when I was a kid, and I probably still have this, this, this part of me that's, that's still true, um, I just don't quite have the same opportunities I had when I was a kid. When I was a kid, one of my favorite things to do, and maybe I'm, I hope I'm not alone in this, one of my favorite things to do was to like, listen in on grown-up conversations when our families would have family reunions, right? So like, parents send us off to bed, and then like, I'd sneak out and find my way to like, be able to listen to my parents reminisce, listen to my grandparents talk about as these extended family would get together and just talk about what life was like for our family before I, before I existed, right? We've, we do this with our kids. We have um, opportunities to, we're, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about um, our family's story. And um, for our kids, they, they like to talk about way back in the 1900s, <laughs> the olden days, apparently. So <laughs> back when the movies had the credits, this is how, by the way, this is how you know a movie's from the 1900s, apparently, according to my kids, the credits all happen before the movie starts. Did you know? I didn't even notice that until they pointed out. They're like, this must be one of those old-time movies. It's got the credits before the, <laughs> before the movie starts. I didn't know that. Now you'll, you'll see it everywhere now. It's gonna, you're going to watch Christmas movies this year and like, oh, I see. The 1900s. It's not just black and white or color. That's the, the, the category that our kids do. But we love to have conversations about what life was like for them, it's like almost impossible to even imagine that life existed before they did, right? It's like, whoa, there was stuff that happened before I was born. What in the world? Um, but for us to be able to, to listen in on kind of the, the family story, right? I love listening to you, and I've now lost all of my grandparents, but would love to hear them tell the story of our family, to hear the family story, to, to be able to remember the, the way that our family does things or did things or why we do the things that we do. The book of Acts which we're going to be spending time in this morning, Acts chapter 2. The book of Acts really is as a, as a church, right? Not just like a specific church. I mean, it's true for Birchridge, but it's true for the church, for all the churches that are gathering together this morning in every part of the world that, that we have a common family story, right? And it's recorded in the book of Acts. At least the beginning of the story is recorded, uh, of, of the life of the church is recorded in the book of Acts. Luke, who wrote the gospel according to Luke, one of the books of the Bible, wrote the, the it's kind of like part two of the book of Luke is the book of Acts, where Luke is all about it's like the life of Jesus and what he did and how he ministered when he was on the earth. And then Acts is the story of the church, right? It's the story of, so what are we going to do about it? Right? If Jesus showed up, if Jesus walked the earth, if Jesus lived and died and made a way for us, then, then what should we do and what does the church do in response to that? So that's what the book of Acts is. So it's, it's this history of the church that's like, this is the story of Jesus, Luke, Acts, this is the story of the church. This is the response. This is kind of that, the rhythm of almost every moment in, in Christian history where it's God acts and then his people respond, right? Then we're invited to obedience. And so that's what the book of Acts is. This is Luke recording how things were. In some ways recording for us, it's not just descriptive, it's also prescriptive in a certain way where it's like we should learn from what they did. And so we're looking at the beginning of the book of Acts and kind of give an arc of the story, kind of understand and kind of set up what this looks like. There's, there's a big story that's happening, right? It starts, at least this arc of the story starts in Matthew 28, uh, where it's, it's what's known as the Great Commission. This is Jesus speaking to the disciples saying, now this is what you're supposed to be about. This is what you're supposed to do. 
Matthew 28, starting in verse 19, Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And Jesus closes with this and this thought, And surely I am with you always, even to the very end of the age. All right, Jesus says, not just go and go do things and get busy and, and work on stuff and, and spend time doing, doing, doing. But he says, go and do something very specific. Go and, and spend your time on the things that really matter. So make disciples. That's the actual action verb of that particular passage, of that particular verse. It's not the, we, I think we emphasize the going so much and we forget that the make disciples is the priority that Jesus seems to be making. Go and make disciples of, of all nations, right? Jesus speaking to this kind of like, terrified group of people, this little huddle of probably a dozen people, just under a dozen people at this point, right, that he's speaking, he's saying, now go, take this to the ends of the earth, casting this vision, giving this mission that's, that's bigger than they could have possibly imagined. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations and baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So make disciples, baptize them, and teach them to obey everything I've commanded you, and then the promise, and surely Surely I am with you always to the very end of the age, right? And so the story of the church, this is the command that Jesus gave. This is, this is his sending out, right? This is the commissioning of the, of the disciples. This is what the church should be about. And so the, the, the disciples go and they start to sort this out. At the beginning of the book of Acts, we have the story of Pentecost, which is this, the, the, the ability of the disciples to speak in languages that would actually enable them to go and speak to, across to all nations, to be able to be equipped to serve in that kind of way. And then Peter preaches. This is in the beginning of, of Acts, kind of like Acts 1, 2. Peter begins to preach. And he begins to talk about what God is doing. And in that moment, as Peter begins to preach, there's this, this moment that the, the, the movement of Christianity moves from about 120, if you're looking at the beginning of Acts, and Acts, Acts 1. And then in Acts 2, it says, then 3,000 were added to their number that day. Can you imagine? Can you imagine it goes from 120, which is probably about the size of this group right here, to 3,000 now adding, adding to that number. And if you were talking about the Hollywood ending, right? You talk about that moment where the credits are going to roll. If you didn't roll the credits when Jesus walked out of the grave, right? If you didn't roll the credits when, when Jesus ascended into heaven in this kind of epic moment, then this would probably be that next moment where you're like, and 3,000 were added to their number. Mission accomplished, right? Surely the disciples could have imagined that surely this is good enough. Yeah, God, God sent us to the ends of the earth, but surely he would be happy with 3,000. And so they have a decision to make. The credits didn't roll, right? The, the story continues. Now, 2,000 years later, we're asking the same kinds of questions. And so what are we going to do about it? It's not the end of the story. It's not the Hollywood ending. So what should they do? And so the disciples, I would imagine, gathered together, and they're looking at each other and saying, what should we do? And you can imagine that they would begin to say, well, what did Jesus tell us to do? Right? What was it that Jesus said before he ascended into heaven, before all of this right, really started like, feeling like it was on our shoulders, really feeling like it was our responsibility to really take this thing? What did he say to do? And Jesus had given such a simple instruction. Right? It's so tempting to make it complicated. It's so tempting to try and make things happen on our own strength. But Jesus said, go make disciples, right? baptize people, teach them, help them be obedient, and then trust that I will be present among you. And so the disciples and those that had gathered and now this 3,000 that, that they're trying to sort out what to do with, they go back and they listen to what Jesus said and they pursue the fundamentals. Right? Verse 42 of Acts chapter 2, they devoted themselves. 
right? They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. They went back and said, well, what was it that Jesus did? Let's do that, right? Let's, let's lean in and, and let's do that because 3,000 added to the movement in that moment was an incredible part of the story, right? That's an incredible thing. But what happens next matters, right? What they did with what happened, what they did with this incredible movement of God, this, this thing that they could not have made happen. What happens next, what they did with what God was doing, how they moved forward matters. What happens next matters, and what they devoted themselves to matters, right? This became a people that are defined by what they're devoted to. This is a people that were defined not necessarily, I mean, in part, they were defined by Christ having raised, him, having raised himself from the dead. That is, has defined Christianity. The, the resurrection defines Christianity. Right? But here's this people, right? What is it like from a, from a culture of a movement? What does this look like? Well, how do they operate? How are they known? What are they defined by? It wasn't just that they were defined by the people who were able to now speak in new languages, They weren't necessarily or simply defined by this this exponential increase in the movement. That's enough to make headlines, right? 3,000 people added to a movement in a single day. That's that's enough to get people to pay attention, that that it could have been that that Christianity in this moment could have been defined by this, this incredible increase in participation. And yet, and yet, and thankfully, they devoted themselves, right? They became a people defined by devotion, defined by leaning in and focusing on the fundamentals, focusing on the things that Jesus told them to be about. Verse 43, everyone was filled with awe at the many signs, the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. And this is where it gets, it gets pretty encouraging for us because the disciples and those around them devoted themselves to the things of God. And then God did what only God can do, right? God showed that, that this is not a result. They're not making the signs and wonders happen. They're not making these things happen. This is, this is God doing what God does to make himself known, to make himself famous, right? The, the church has wrestled with the way this should play out, these, these wonders and signs that, that sometimes we're tempted to, to chase after the awe. We're tempted to chase after the next big thing. We're tempted to chase after this, what extraordinary thing is happening? We're called to devotion, to understand that the best way to see it is, is that this is God on mission, right? This is God doing only things he could do that, that for us it's an opportunity not just not to not chase after awe, but to chase after God, right? To chase after the one who, who, who shows up in unmistakable ways, right? To not just chase awe, but to chase God. And all the believers, verse 44, were together and they had everything in common. Right? These are the outcomes of the devotion. This is the outcome of, of God getting a hold of people. Verse 43 and 44 and 45, all the believers were together and had everything in common. All the believers could have just been believers. Right? There's this, this thing that if you're just defining yourself by a systems of, system of belief, this is when we talked about active faith where you have this is my confidence, right? This is my belief. This is, this is the way I see the world. This is the way I act. That congruence between those categories that, that if they were just believers, doesn't necessarily require them to do anything. You could define yourself as a believer without having any kind of action. But these believers lived differently, right? They, they were together and they had everything in common. That it wasn't, just about do, or it wasn't just about believing, but it was also getting to work, rolling up their sleeves and getting to work. We believe, but then we keep moving forward. 
What's happening in this passage right here is, is this is God saying, if you're going to devote yourself to me, then the things that you were previously devoted to are going to be less important to you, right? This is, this is viewing possessions differently. This is us defining people and defining our value in a different kind of way. It's not based on what we have or what we possess. It's this healthy community of, of believers that's determining value based on the way that God values us. Say, I'm not going to hoard, I'm not going to hold on to, I'm not going to collect, I'm not going to accumulate based on just, just this is how I value or this is what I value. But I'm devoting myself to God and then I'm just going to treat everything else as something less than God and not, not something that's worth my devotion. And so if it can be used to be helpful to other people, if, if others can benefit from what I possess, then, then I'm not going to worry about it. And so they sold, verse 45, they sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. By the way, this is not socialism, right? This is not a political system where you can lead and go, oh no, where is this going? Um, This is not this forced or compulsory kind of exchange of, of people's possessions. This is transformation actually impacting the way that we view or the way that they viewed what they possess, right? It changed their view of possessions. It moved them from, from I'm holding on to this thing to, to I'm stewarding this thing, that, that what God has placed in my hands, he's placed in my hands for a reason, that it's a reflection, it's an outcome of transformation. It's not even a transaction with God saying, well, God, if I'm willing to let go of my stuff, then would you do for me something better than, than maybe what I have from you up to this point? Or you can get God to do stuff that it's not a transaction, it's, a, it's an outcome of transformation. It's, it's, a, it's, it's a people leaning in and listening to what Jesus said and then putting it into practice, and all of a sudden their values start to shift. And so they had ongoing practices. Verse 46, every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They, they broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. Devotion. Devotion isn't a one-time decision, right? We can't come this morning and, and make a decision and say, look, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to invest myself in, in a particular thing. I'm going to start reading scripture. I'm going to do these things. I'm, I'm making a decision to do things. But if we don't make those same decisions tomorrow, if we don't make that same decision next week, if, if we're not actually progressing in, our, in, our act, in, in, the, in the devoted acts, it's an everyday thing. Devotion is practices, it's habits and rhythms that begin to shape us, right? It's people that are gathering together. They remember together. They're, they're growing in their faith together. They're finding that they have favor in their community, right? This, 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 this city that they were part of was, was no less or no more friendly or no less friendly maybe necessarily than, than the, the kinds of communities that we operate in today, right? But but devotion, right? When people see people living in authentic kinds of ways, they're, they're drawn to this. When, when we devote ourselves to the things of God, it doesn't, I mean, we might feel like we're going to be shunned and, and look like we're weird, but what we see is when we truly and authentically devote ourselves to the things of God, it's attractive, right? People are drawn to people who are living authentically, this is a people that had favor in their community. That means that it wasn't them posturing themselves like this is the church against the world, but this is the church for the world, trying to make the world better. The result of devotion is, is, is wrapped up in these kinds of practices. This isn't the starting point. This is not how we get God to do things. Right? It isn't, isn't that if we do these things, then, then we can get God to, to do the kinds of things that we saw God doing or we see God doing in this story. This is not the starting point. This is kind of that interplay between God moving and his people responding in obedience and and God taking and and moving to the next step and to the next step and to the next step. 
And then it's our turn. They had to get there. God brought them there. And in verse 47, the, the end of verse 47, then they, and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So you have this 3,000 added in a day, but then as they devote themselves, as they, as they work the fundamentals, as they say, what is it that we're supposed to be about? And they continue to be about those things. God continues to add to their numbers those who were being saved. Not just those who were gathering together, not just those who were kind of like part of the thing or bought the t-shirt or were part of what was going on, but these are people whose lives were transformed because of their connection with the community. That there's this trajectory in this passage where God does inward work, where God does a work in us, where where's this is kind of this seed kind of experience where there's all sorts of things that are hidden and quiet and, and maybe mysterious to us, but it begins to take root. The seed begins to open and, and then it, it moves outward. That what God does in us, God usually is, is what he wants to do through us. The kinds of, of things that God sets us free from are often the things that God wants to use us to help others be set free from as well. That there's this trajectory in the story of the people of God from this inward focus to this outward focus. That it's not just one or the other, that, that God uses and levels up in these different kinds of ways. That the growth mentality of this time was that they will seek God Right? Make sure that the foundation is right. Make sure that, that we're devoted to the right kinds of things. Make sure in a lot of ways that, that the environment is healthy, that it's, that it's safe, and, and then let God handle the outcome. Right? To let God do what, God can, what only God can do. For a people, how do you move from 120 to 3,000 and then more added every day? It's, it's working the fundamentals. It's being ready to multiply environments. It's, it's being willing to raise up leaders and, and release people, have, a, have a, a structure for making sure that, that we know where the next leaders are coming from, that we're able to, to develop leaders that can competently proclaim the gospel, that, that can faithfully lead others in a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. To go from, 3, to, from, from a few dozen to 3,000 requires an incredible system, but the beautiful thing is Jesus gave us the system. Right? It's just a matter of what does devotion look like? What are we devoting ourselves to? What is the foundation? What are the environments? What are we devoted to? And then God does what only God can do. And God added to their numbers daily that, that they weren't pursuing addition, that they were seeking after God. And then God said, now here's more and more and more. As the, as the system becomes operational in terms of helping make disciples, helping people follow Jesus well, and so we are here this morning, 2019, wrestling for our, in our own lives with the same kinds of questions. What should we do if God has moved, right? If God is working in us, if, if God is doing things, then, then what should we do with what God has done for us? What is it that we're going to do in response to what God has done? There's just a couple things that I think just bear spending some time wrestling with. And the first one is this, is that, that devotion determines direction, right? Devotion determines direction. We're either growing towards something or we're drifting towards something, right? The, the question is intentionality in that. The, the question is, is what is it that we're heading towards? What is it that we're growing towards or drifting towards or whatever? What does it look like when, what is our life heading towards? If we've ever driven down a road where there's ruts in the road or driving down a trail where there's ruts in the trail, the, the ongoing, whatever the, that path has, that has been marked is it gets a hold of your tires, right? And it starts to pull you in a certain direction. If there's, there's a, a way that you have gone repeatedly that in some ways those ruts start to determine the direction of, of what your life looks like. Devotion, what you're devoted to, what you repeatedly do, what you spend your time thinking about, the, the thing that's actually leveraging your life, what, what's your life bent toward, determines the direction of your life. 
We're growing towards something or we're drifting towards something. The question is what? What draws our attention? Where do we drift, right? If we take our hands off the steering wheel of our car, don't do this on a, like, driving down the highway or anything, but if you're trying to determine, is my car aligned? Are the wheels aligned? You take your hand off the wheel, you can see if the car drifts or, or moves in a certain direction, then you know there's some work to be done. The question is, what is it that we're drifting to? Because the reality is actions trump intentions, right? You can, you can make a decision and say, I, I want my life to be marked by this, or I'm going to lean in on this, or I'm going to focus my attention and my efforts on, on these things, and we make a decision. So we have this intention of doing something. But if we don't actually perform the, the actions that go along with it, right? If we don't actually say, like, I'm going to do something with this, what am I going to do about it? I can, can hear God speak, but if I don't put into practice what God is telling me to do, that I can have the intention of growing closer to God. I can have the intention of, of having a life that, that's marked by the things that are marked by a life of a person who's devoted to the things of God. But if I don't put into action, if I don't actually spend my time doing the things that, that help get me there, then, then I'm going to, to, to not get there, right? Actions trump intentions. Devotion determines direction. Actions trump intentions. And then devotion, devotion drives connection. So that's the question. Who is it that we're connected with? What's the, what's the glue that, that drives the relationships that I have, right? So this could be that we have hobbies that we are almost obsessed with, right? That, that we're devoted to, that when we have time, we spend our time researching. When we, when we think, when we have time to think, that, that we spend our time thinking about these things. Or maybe it's not even a hobby. Maybe it's something that we're... This, that's sinful in our lives that we've got to let go of, that, that somehow we're, we're allowing ourselves to be devoted to something that's just utterly unworthy of our devotion. What drives connection in my life? Right? What drives the relationship? We can think of maybe three primary domain, domains of, of relationship. The first is that divine, that, that thing that calls us forward, the, the bullseye in our lives, the, the directionality, the thing that, that, that moves us forward. What am I growing toward? This divine, which, which should be, if if we're directing our lives in the, same, the right kind of way, if we're devoting our lives to the right kinds of things, it should be an upward connection, right? This connection with God, this, this I'm growing deeper. That if I look at my life a year ago, if I look at my life a month ago, if I look at my life a week ago, that, that I'm growing deeper. That my connection with God is better now than it was before. Right? That I'm, I'm not just intending to grow, that I'm, I'm putting into practice the kinds of things that that reflect the devotion that I have. I'm spending time in God's word. I'm spending time gathered together with people in worship that, that I'm allowing God to recalibrate my mind on a consistent and regular basis. I'm spending time in prayer, listening, not just speaking. What is God trying to say to me? This, this upward connection, this divine connection. Or we've replaced it with something that's not, that's not divine. Right? That there's something else that's, that's the primary goal of our lives. It's the primary trajectory and direction of our lives. This, this divine connection or the relational connection? What's the glue that holds me together with my friends? What's the, what's the, what's the, the huddle that I'm part of? What's that like? What, what drives the relationships that I have? What's my huddle divine, defined by? All right, so we have the divine, the upward connection, the relational, that, that inward connect, or that inner connect, the connecting in with a group of people. And then we have the missional connection. That's the outward. That's, that's God using who we are and what we care about to actually impact the world around us. Right, the thing that's so beautiful about this, the thing that's so beautiful about this devotion driving connection is that, is that the things that we care about, right, the hobbies that we have, the interests that we have, that, that not every single piece of our life has to be 100% wrapped up in, 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 in what we might think of, like these are God things. Sometimes God gives us things that we're excited about, 
because he wants to use those things to help us connect with other people who care about those things too, right? That we're not talking about only having relationships with people who are, who are Christians or, or are connected with Jesus, but that our lives can be marked by this missional connection, this, this kind of outward trajectory that we saw, like we saw in the book of Acts, where we start asking ourselves the question, instead of being devoted to something that's unworthy of my devotion, right? What does it look like? What does it look like to, to leverage my interests, to leverage my interests instead of, let, instead of letting my interests leverage me? Does that make sense? So you look at this and you say, so what is it that I care about? What am I interested in? What are the things that, that are just plain fun for me? And we take that and we say, God, how could you use that to help other people come to a saving knowledge of you? Right? How, could I, how could I leverage this interest that I have in, in this thing that I like to do, this thing that, that God has wired me to enjoy? And use that, and, and, and use that to, to help connect with other people, to, to meet others right where they're at, where, where this can actually be life-giving. Right? Where our connection with other people, where, where our spiritual conversations with other people can be rooted in something that we're already interested in. This is that outward connection, this, this moving outward, saying it's, it's, it's not that my, the things that I'm devoted to that aren't God are leveraging me or that are prying me off track, but, okay, I'm devoted to God. How can I then put the things that I'm interested in, those things that aren't God, put those in their proper place in my life so that God can use those to make a difference in the world around me? That's the missional connection. Devotion determines direction. Devotion drives connection. And so, this morning, we are privileged. We have an incredible privilege to celebrate together at the table, right? To, 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 to do a practice that, that Jesus initiated, say, remember the sacrifice. Remember what I did for you. And as we prepare, I'm just going to speak some words over us as a body this morning. The first is this, is that you matter, right? You matter. There is so much in this world I see your prayer requests. I have conversations with you. I, I know. I know there are things in this world that make us feel like we don't matter. Right? I know there are things that happened in some of our lives this week that, that make us feel like we don't have value, that, that make us feel like nobody cares about us, that make us feel like there's, there's, there's just nothing that, that we provide that could be of any kind of value to anybody else, that, that nobody cares about us, that we feel completely unworthy. And yet as we talk about the table, as we talk about what God has done for us, we have to understand and we have to remember that you matter. That you matter so much that God sent his son to, to die a brutal death for you. Right? You matter to God. That God sent his son to, to make a way not just to eternal life, he made a way to eternal life for you, but also to a better way of living. That There are, there are things that, that you're going back to. There's rhythms and behaviors and habits that you're going back to that are utterly unworthy of your time because you think you don't matter, because you think nobody's going to care. You matter. Jesus died to make a way for eternal life for you, and he made a way for a better life for you as well. You matter to God, and you matter to us. That what we do here at Birchridge is, is, is wrapped up in this idea that God cares deeply about you, so, so we care deeply about you. That God cares deeply about us so that we can turn that towards other people and say, God cares about me, and that means that God cares about you. And so, so what we do here is because God says we matter. You matter. I matter. God loves us. You matter. Your next step matters. 
right? Christian history can be summed up in, in a pretty simple kind of way saying God moved and his people responded. And not always well, right? We didn't always, Christian history is not perfect. We didn't always get it right. The church doesn't always get it right. But the next step, that's why the next step matters, that, that, that God moves, that God begins to reveal himself, that, that God begins to move a people forward. And then people have a choice to make. The church has a choice to make. His people respond. We respond, right? We hear God speak and we, we hear a message about what we devote ourselves to and the direction of our lives and, and the types of connections that God wants to use to, to transform our lives. And we have to do something with it. Your next step, right? There is a next step. That's, that's one of the things that, that for me personally, I'm almost obsessed with the idea of helping other people take the next step towards Jesus. What does it look like to take the next step? What is it that God is inviting us to do to move forward? And sometimes they're baby steps, right? They're just little steps down the way. That's why we redid our connect card, the, the card that's in the seat back in front of you that, that actually makes the next steps pretty clear because we care. Did you know that with every one of those checkboxes, we actually have a system for what we're gonna, how, how we actually would help you in this process. That, that as a church, we're structuring ourselves so that we can competently help you take the next step. Because number three, we're here to help. Right? We are here to help. That we're building this church. We're, we're continuing to build this church on these principles that, that Jesus has invited us to live in a certain way, that he's, he's called us to be devoted to specific kinds of things, that, that the great commandment that says, go and make disciples and, and baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit and teach people to obey my commands and then to trust that God's presence is with us as we go, even to the end of the age. That that's a thing worth building on, right? That's a thing worth taking seriously. As a matter of fact, that particular verse is, is on a plaque or on a, on a picture that's right outside my office here at the, at the church. And every day that I come to church, every time I walk into my office, I have to, to look at that particular verse. And it reminds me what we're about, right? The, the thing that I'm about to go in and do in my office, the sermon that I'm getting ready to, to listen to God as I'm working through the writing process, when we start to dream about what small groups look like, when we start to make decisions about how we develop and deploy leaders, what does it look like? Are we doing the thing that God has called us to do. We're here to help. We're building our church on these principles, the, this principle of the Great Commission, that we are sent with a purpose, that, that this sending God is sending us out, that God is on mission has, and has invited us to live on mission with him. And then the great commandment that we are called to love God and we are called to love other people as well. Right? These principles, right? it's not that we should just do specifically what they did in the book of Acts. We should be devoted to the same kinds of things. It's going to look different because culturally we're in a different place but the fundamentals matter, right? What we're devoted to matters. The, the things that we're building this church on, the DNA of this church matters. And that's why you're sensing this shift as we talk about launching small groups this fall. We had some really great life groups, right? There's some incredible things. I got to, to sit in on one even when I was here in, in April when I was first getting to know you guys. And there's good things. But what we're creating this, this fall as we kick off these, these, new, these new small groups is new environments that, that really are focused on this idea that, that God speaks and that we're invited to respond in obedience, right? This idea that, that we, can, we can be a church that's, that's not just, that doesn't just have small groups, but is literally a church of small groups that, that focuses on the connection, that, that focuses on helping other people take the next step, that the vision for this church is fairly simple, that we believe that when we devote ourselves to the right things, when we lean in on the right things, when we focus ourselves on, on the things that God has invited us to focus our lives on, then, 
then God's going to do some pretty extraordinary things and we get to be a part of it. That we're going to fight for health. That we're going to celebrate the moments. That we're going to look and say, God, look what you've done. This is incredible. That, that we'll get to experience these all kind of moments. And then we're going to be ready for more. Right? We're going to raise up leaders. We're going to figure out ways to create new environments where we truly have environments where, where it's transformational potential, where we can multiply disciples and leaders and these transformational environments, these spaces and places that God uses to transform us. You matter. Your next step matters. And we're here to help. This morning, as we move into communion, I'm going to take a risk. If you are carrying something this morning, you come and there is a burden or there is something in your life that you long to lift in prayer or to have others lift in prayer, we want to help. So if there is something that you are wrestling with, there's something that you're dealing with, something that, that you would like to have prayed over, we're going to make this as non-awkward as possible, right? But I'm just going to ask that you raise your hand. And we're going to gather around you and we're going to pray. We're not going to ask you what the thing is, right? We're not going to have to like say, this is the thing I'm wrestling with or this is the thing that's hard or, or whatever. We're not going to do that. And, and for those of us who gather around, you don't necessarily have to pray out loud. It's just the fact that we're praying for each other. So I'm going to take a risk as we prepare. We talk about what it looks like for us to be a people who are here to help, to show you that you matter to show you that your next step matters, to show you that God cares so much that he created a community to come around you. Do you have the courage to raise your hand?